Welcome, welcome, welcome to the John of All Trades Podcast, episode 317. I'm your host, John X. Thank you for joining us. Glad to have you back once again. And on this week's show, I'm talking shop. This is right in my wheelhouse. This is a conversation I love to have. And when a guest like this comes to me, by the way, thank you, Kit Caster, for helping me get hooked up here. I get super excited. My guest this week is Lori Gilbertson. And Lori is the CEO of Tribeca Blue Consulting, a company specialized in helping professionals with their public speaking, presentation skills, and media appearances. Are you kidding me? This is what I do. This is one of the reasons that this show continues to have utility in my day job. I'm a trainer by nature. It's what I do. It's one of the things I like to do best. I can help your organization get its people to communicate more effectively, more efficiently, And with more style and panache. Because one of the things I say in my training is that make bold choices and the universe will tend to reward you for it. So you come to one of my trainings, we're going to work hard, but we're going to have fun. And I immediately vibed with Lori because check out Lori's background. She's a former prosecutor and TV analyst. She's a veteran of New York City courtrooms and an expert at handling the pressures of live television. She works with executives She works with trial lawyers. She's done some stuff with some pretty high stakes. So the fact that we can compare notes, the fact that we can compare philosophies, the fact that we can talk about real issues when it comes to getting people to improve their communication, man, what a joy, what a gift, and what fun. More than anything, this episode is fun. If you love public speaking, and who doesn't really? I mean, in my world, who doesn't? A lot of people. But If you love public speaking, you're going to get a lot out of this show. If you hate public speaking and you dread it and you fear it more than death, you're going to get a lot out of this show. Because here's the truth. Being good at presenting, being good at speaking in front of an audience, being good at communicating is going to be, in my estimation, one of the top two or three skills that you need as you advance in your career. Because let's face it, the thing that you were hired to do You will get moved away from that the further you advance in your career. All you're going to be doing is either managing people or presenting to different audiences. Literally, every job at a certain point becomes nothing but public relations. Sorry, it's a fact. I've worked with too many organizations and seen this where all of a sudden, oh dear, I have great technical expertise, not a great or very dynamic presenter. I'm here to help the best version of you emerge. Lori is much the same. And with her experience, man, we talk about how weird it is doing TV. We talk about what a trial lawyer actually needs as they prep their case to go in front of a jury. And we talk about why people are actually nervous and afraid of public speaking. It's a fantastic episode. Lori is full up on pop culture references the same way I am. We have a really easy rapport. We have a similar philosophy. It was so funny listening to her talk about her general approach and philosophy here, because I'm like, ah, a woman after my own heart, delightful. Now, that's all coming up in just a second. First, I'd like to give some love to our sponsor, 4Degrees, the number 4, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. 
We're talking about effective communication here. And if you're communicating online, Four Degrees is the best place to go to help you get your campaign, your product, your service, your candidate, whatever it is, in front of the people who need to hear from them most. They're experts at crafting a message and then experts at deploying it on the platforms where the people actually are to make a material difference to whatever the goal of your campaign is. They're phenomenal. I adore them. We're approaching year eight of this show, and I'm grateful for their support. So hit them up, the number four, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. Now then, let's get to this week's episode. Number 317 features Lori Gilbertson, the founder of Tribeca Blue Consulting. We talk all things public speaking, presentation training, media appearances. It's great fun. She's an incredible professional, and her episode starts right now. So I almost feel like my company has kind of gotten new life and a new lens, you know, to look at it. So my newest thing is being pulled back into the world of serving lawyers and coaching and training lawyers, something I've tried to get away from for a long time. So pulled back into the world of trials and doing trial coaching and trial training with lawyers. Oh my goodness. Uh, yeah. I can tell you a lot of the time I, I do a lot of work in energy and natural resources. Mm-hmm. And I'm yeah. always thinking I want to get away from it, but I'm good at it and and it pays well. Is that about where you're at? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. The lawyers just, um, I have the credibility and I have the background and the experience. Yeah. So it, it's such a natural fit. And no matter how I try to get away from it, it just keeps pulling me back in. Yeah. You'll, uh, you're like a unicorn in that space because... You know, you, you've done the coaching, you've done the training, and you've actually been a lawyer. So the fact yeah. that you can do all those things and actually can speak lawyer, I imagine, <laughs> has got to go a long way for them. <laughs> I've never heard that, and I love it. I love it. Yeah, it's um, – well, I know re- – lawyer. <laughs> Recently, I had personal injury attorney on this show. Okay. And that was fascinating because, you know, you, you see the ads – and you yeah. think you know what these folks are like, but then when he explained it to me, I go, oh my gosh, these guys do have a real space um, that is necessary. And yeah. what they do in working with sort of your John and Jane Q citizen, I go, oh, okay, so this is trying to balance the scales a little bit more. Um, is there a type of lawyer that you work with a lot? Um, trial lawyers, trial lawyers of any kind. It can be a solo firm. It can be someone in a big firm, but basically someone who is going to be going either into a deposition, a hearing or a trial. And they need to have someone to kind of bounce ideas off of, get an expert opinion and just, you know, untangle all the things that come with a trial. Yeah. I I imagine preparing for a trial is like preparing for a public speaking engagement that, that combines like all manner of doing like high school forensics. You're doing extemporaneous speaking. Mm-hmm. You're doing like CX style debate. You're doing LD style debate. You're, you're doing uh, original oratory. It, it, it's like, oh, yeah. it, it's crazy the, the amount of yes. different types of skills that you have to have as a trial lawyer. I, I, I can't imagine what that's like. Yeah. It is, uh, and it's like preparing for battle <laughs> and, and the outcome is so important to so many people in so many different ways. So it, it's all of those things. It's a real high stakes kind of thing that you're doing. So is. this is Lori Gilbertson. You are the CEO and founder at Tribeca Blue Consulting. 
You're a former New York City sex crimes, organized crime, and homicide prosecutor, television legal analyst, educator, and entrepreneur. That is a lot of titles <laughs> as we go forward. And it it, is. it's a thrill to have you on the show. Thank you for being here. John, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, 100%. So let's talk more about doing prep work for trials. So you are working primarily with lawyers. Do you work with witnesses too? I haven't yet, but I would. And, you know, you say primarily, I'd say with the trial coaching, it's kind of one aspect to okay. what I do. Um, I otherwise work with executives and entrepreneurs um, with their kind of media training as well as communication skills. But with trial lawyers, you know, I help them get ready to prep their witnesses. Okay. And if necessary, I'm happy to jump in and do that. I just haven't, I haven't yet. Right. So you're kind of training the trainer here. You got it. Because when you're a lawyer, you're putting together a, a, a story, a narrative. And, you know, I say, I say story. It's not like you're, you're being fictitious with it, but what you're doing is you are arranging the facts to be revealed in a certain order. Is that fair? You, Absolutely are. And when you talk about order, you've really hit on something that is so important in trials, which is what order are you going to present your witnesses in? Yeah. How are you going to let this story evolve and um, come to the attention of, of your entire audience? I mean, you've got the judge, you've got the jury, and then you've also got the other opposing counsel. So things are being revealed along the way. I mean, with the way that, that evidentiary rules work, there are really not surprises and right. they're really surprises at trial. Um, but the way that you craft that story is so important. Sure. But I mean, in, in terms of uh, a jury is hearing this stuff for the first time, right? Yes. So, so the, or, I mean, it, it's not going to be a surprise. There's a discovery process between the two legal counsels and you know, everyone's sort of involved in, let's call it putting together the show if you want to be a, a little bit glib about it, right, in, in terms of putting together the show. But you've got your jury here, and they are now hearing this for the first time. So how do you want them to intersect with this information? And at what point does it make sense for them to deepen their understanding? Is that about right? Yes, you're definitely on the right track. Um, the thing that a lot of lawyers don't realize and that gives them so much more power uh, to be successful in the courtroom is that every single touch point that you have once you set foot in that courtroom, and even when you're walking down the hallway to get there when we were in person, is a touch point for people seeing you, reacting to you, and starting to form an opinion. So when a uh, an attorney gets up to do voir dire, gets up to, um, which is jury selection, they're making a first impression. They're not yet talking about any evidence. They may just be, you know, starting to introduce themselves, who they are, and, you know, start to find a good jury for their case. But every touch point makes an impression. Um, and you often don't even know as a trial lawyer the things that juries are focused on. So, you know, you really have to think about it and be sure that each and every action that you are taking when they see you, when they hear you, even if you're not directly involved with them, is something they're taking in it, taking in. And juries are smart that way. <laughs> they get it. They see it. They perceive it. And they will come up with things that you didn't even think of. That's, I mean, that's a great point. And so much of our communication is also nonverbal. I mean, think about, have you ever been in the waiting room of, of like a doctor's office and you, you're looking around at everyone and you're kind of sizing them up. You're like, I wonder what they're in for. <laughs> you know what I mean? 
Hopefully. You're going, I wonder why they're here. I wonder if it's a checkup or if something's wrong with them. And and you're just thinking about that. So naturally, you're you're interacting with a lawyer and you're going, I don't care for the way he asked that question. Right? right. That kind I of think, thing. Is that what you're alluding to? Absolutely. I mean, you know, uh, I think the the neuroscience says that what 93% or something is, is non-visual and about 7% is visual. And then there's other research that shows that you have two to seven seconds to make that first impression, <laughs> two to seven seconds. So, you know, if you're an attorney, you come running into the courtroom, you're all disheveled, your papers are everywhere. What does the jury think? You know, yeah. so it, or what does the judge think? What does opposing counsel think? But, you know, then there are some things you have no control over. I tried a case that was, um, when I was a district, an assistant district attorney, it was a month long. It was a really serious case. And, you know, we, we got a conviction at the end. Um, it, it really was justice done. And, um, I had the opportunity to speak to the jury after. And this one woman was very eager to speak with me. And I was very eager to speak with them because, you know, you have no, no real communication. Um, that's one on one. And she came up and I was so excited to hear what she thought of the case and, and all these issues. And she looked at me and she said, you know, we've all been talking about this and we've been wondering, are you growing your bangs out? Because they <laughs> look like they've gotten really long during the trial and we like it that way. And I'm thinking, what? You know, all this prep time I spend and the jury's looking at my hair. <laughs> That, well, you know what? Yeah. I, I mean, it, number one, it is unfair, especially to be a woman in America in modern society, because the bar that you have to clear is much higher than any man ever will. So, um, and I think about that, yes. especially considering I'm old enough to remember the OJ trial. And oh, yes. How much discussion was there about Marsha Clark's hair? Yeah. So. Oh, yeah. I remember she had to, she right had she had to get it long. It was a little longer. It wasn't the short curly hairstyle, and none of that with the men. No, right? none of that with the men. No, no one cared what Robert Shapiro's hair looked like. No, no, no one commented on Johnny Cochran's mustache. <laughs> no. Nope. Uh, so, but like yeah. th- there was there was an added layer of complexity for someone like Marsha Clark, and so you articulating that I, I mean illustrates a number of interesting things to where you have to be managing your appearance. In, in ways that perhaps you're unconscious of before they work with someone like you. And so I, my guess is, or you know what? I'll just ask you a direct question. Are you, yeah. is that part of what you're doing in terms of prep and coaching is not just how you structure your arguments and how you lay out a narrative, but how you manage your personal appearance and manner? Yes. And it, it's for women and for men. And, and sure. I talk about that with all my clients. I mean, wouldn't it be wonderful? If, you know, we could all kind of tumble out of bed, put on a baseball cap and sweats and, and come on. And look, sometimes that happens and that's awesome. And let's argue this on its merit, right? Let's, let's all, right. <laughs> let's, let's all, all do it. Let's all get in our workout gear and let's just talk about right. it, right? Yeah. Right. But look, that's, you know, and that's all well and good and that's some vulnerability and some comfort. And I think especially during the pandemic, it's been kind of nice in a way to see that, you know, sure. to see people kind of opening up. It gives you a different sense of, um, someone's personality and what they're like. And, and it opens some communication where you don't have that layer of, you know, the business outfit and the business suit. And, you know, sometimes for women, the makeup and the men doing their hair, whatever. But look, the, the way you look and your appearance, be it male or female or anything, you know, when you are, are trying to get your ideas and your stories across, this is just another tool. It is another right. tool for you to use. And it is something that people really 
like to use in different ways. And my, my number one tip to every single client that I work with, be it, you know, a trial lawyer going into court or someone I'm coaching or during a training session with, with more people is you have to be yourself. You have to be yourself. So, you know, I am very used to being, you know, I was very used to being in court and being on television and being a prosecutor in this somewhat conservative arena where everything was very formal. So it has taken me a very long time to kind of ease out of that to a way that it's more comfortable talking with clients. You know, I used to think I had to put on a suit every single day, no matter what. If that's what I want to do, great. Not the most comfortable, but, (laughs) you know. You know, but being yourself and being kind of do, being yourself in a way that really gets your communication across in the best way um, is just a tool. And so I really urge people to think about it in a way that makes it work for you, you know, in a way that's appropriate to the situation and makes it work for you. And to try and throw off some of those constraints about having to look a certain way and really figuring it out. It's just a tool in terms, same way you would use your voice, same way you would use your hands, same way you might stand in a certain way, same way you might use certain words. Instead of thinking it as a, of a constraint, you know, a weakness of some sort, let's make it into a strength. Let's use it the best way we possibly can. 100%. And as a fellow trainer, this is one thing we share. We've worked with any number of, of clients and different types too. I mean, I've prepped people to talk to their employees. I've prepped people to go on the CBS Evening News with Scott Pelley. And so those are two very different types of things. You know, you're trying to convey something to a group of people who are under your charge. And then there are times where you're talking to a television journalist and that's a much different type of audience. So you're, you're kind of doing things for different ends. But what I always say is no one can be you, but you, and there is no template and no mold for a good speaker. Like think about any number of good speakers, anyone you like, anyone you admire, you're not going to be them. My job is to be a guide and help the best version of you emerge. Not to sound too much like Tony Robbins here. But... No, it's it's hard not to sound like Tony Robbins when you're saying this right. stuff. It really is true. It, 100%. And so one thing I want to ask you about is, so you were a prosecutor, um, and yes. then you've transitioned into training. What facilitated that change? What led to that? Well, um, a cross-country move mm-hmm. from New York from New York City to Denver a somewhat dissatisfaction with the current job where I was kind of easing into legal training, but in a way where I was not doing the actual training myself. I was um, organizing it, creating it and recruiting for it and a real kind of itch to do something new. And ultimately I was not able to find a job that encompassed all the things I wanted to do. So since I couldn't find it, I found myself in the position of having to create it. I love it. Yeah. So, so that's, that's really what I did. I thought to myself, I mean, after I had gone through um, several interviews, thought it, this was about five years ago, thought about going back to practice law when we moved to Denver from New York City. I couldn't even make it through an interview. I would talk to these <laughs> recruiters and we'd be talking about the position and halfway through. I'd be like, yeah, this isn't going to work. And they're like, yeah, you, you don't seem like this is the thing for you. And then we chit chat for another half an hour. And I'm thinking, well, I can make a connection with people. That seems to be a skill I'm able to do, have these conversations. Clearly, practicing law doesn't seem like it's right for me because I I didn't fit into the mold. Law is uh, quite a conservative profession. I think it's probably about 10 to 15 years behind business 
at least, <laughs> um, in many ways, maybe more. And, you know, coming out of it as kind of a, a former prosecutor and a former legal educator and a television legal analyst, I think that the, the field of law looked at me and said, what do we do with her? <laughs> like, what do we do with her? She could do any one of those things, but we have nothing that she can do all those things together. Right. It is starting to change, but you know, law didn't know what to do with me. So I had to figure out what to do with myself. Yeah. That, that feels, uh, very close to my own heart because I was working corporate and my favorite thing that I was doing was I was, I, I put together what's called an ambassador program where it was like a two and a half day training for people to be able to talk about our industry and what we did in a way that, you know, I said, look, the facts are on your side here. You have the wind at your back, but if the facts were enough, there wouldn't be the controversy surrounding what you do. How do you finesse the approach, right? How do you tell people that what they've heard, like, is wrong? Like, people are entitled to be wrong. They can be wrong. It's okay to be wrong. Like, I'm wrong all the time. Just ask my wife. Um, <laughs> but it doesn't mean that they're crazy, Right. So how do we build bridges where they didn't exist before? And that's where communications training really comes in handy. So the other thing I wanted to say to you was the thing about doing training for people when it comes to public speaking or when it comes to presentation training, I find I become an ad hoc therapist quite a bit. Um, oh, how about absolutely. you? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I love that you said that. You know, I think unlike training for a lot of other things and maybe in a lot of other industries, there is so many things about communication training that just unleash vulnerabilities and insecurities that people have. And we can, you know, talk about the idea that it's scary to get up in front of people and the, you know, you know, the old Jerry Seinfeld joke about, you I know, tell this one too. <laughs> I, I've, yeah, I started so many presentations with it that I need I need a new intro. Maybe you and I should talk, John. You can help me out. No, we we um, need to workshop together because I overuse yes. that one to death about preferring to be in the casket than giving the eulogy. Right. Yeah. Right. That, that, you know, public speaking is the number one fear of people in America above death. So it's a great, it's a great story. But yeah, let's workshop. Let's talk. <laughs> so, you know, it, it does unleash vulnerabilities. And it does unleash insecurities because, you know, people, no matter how much you, you can talk to clients about the fact or talk to, to people you're training about the fact, you know, it's not about you. You're sharing your knowledge. Let's be excited about this. Nobody's, you no, know, everyone just wants you to succeed. You know, I'm, I'm maybe oh God, the audience wants you to, the audience wants you to succeed. And look, <laughs> all those things are true, but when it comes down to it, you are fully putting yourself out there mm -hmm. and people you're being judged. I, I mean, I'm right there with everyone. I get nervous before presentations. Sure. I get nervous before coming on things. You know, I have to think to myself or sometimes not think because that's easier and just do. Um, but yeah, you become a therapist in a way. You, you start to kind of go to, you know, the reasons why people are nervous about this or the reasons why they avoid um, getting up and sharing their ideas. So I I think it comes down to two things. And, and one has to do with the content. People mm -hmm. are afraid their ideas will not be well received or that they won't be able to get them across. And that's frustrating and scary. And the second is the delivery. People yeah. are afraid in terms of what we talk about with appearance. You know, <laughs> look at that. You're too fat. You're too thin. She's too old. She's too young. I mean, especially with women, that, uh, that yeah. comes up quite a bit. So, gosh, put all that in it. 
And it is amazing that you and I ever have any clients for people who want to do this, right? <laughs> well, I, in my case, when I'm working with uh, companies or organizations, a lot of people who show up to my workshops end up being voluntold. Um, where, you know, like they're part of a team and their leadership decides that their team needs this. So I recognize that. I know that they're, I mean, they're not there at gunpoint, but it's not that far off from that, at least in terms of their own mind, in, in, in terms of their motivation and their desire to do this. A couple of things that you mentioned that I wanted to touch on. One was, I always tell people, do you know why you're nervous? And they say, no. Or yes, I mean, they, they'll give me a litany of reasons, but I say, ultimately, you're nervous because you want to do a good job. Like, that's really what it comes down to. If you didn't care, you could just get up there and fart out a presentation and like, and then just go sit back down and no one cares. Why would you be nervous about that? But you want to do a good job. You have something you want to convey and you want to do it effectively. So channel that. Like, put that into your prep. Put your nerves into your prep. And if you know your material... That eliminates one of the issues of nerves. The other thing I tell them is flip the script on this. And I, I'm curious about your thoughts on this. Yeah. A lot of people view presentations or view public speaking as an obligation. I have to do this. And I say to them, if you change that to it's not an obligation, it's an opportunity. I don't have to do this. I get to do this. And you're being asked to speak because you have unique insight or expertise. And if you go in with that mindset, man, you, you will generally it's a self-fulfilling prophecy too. If you think you'll do a good job, you probably will. So uh, what are your thoughts on that? Oh gosh, I love all of that. And, and I've, I've also come to that same obligation and opportunity kind of dichotomy and, you know, in trials to take it back to that because that was kind of my my whole kind of growing up and learning how to communicate well you know you don't have control of the facts of your case but you have control sure. over how you present them and one of the things that that you learn as a trial attorney is turning weakness into strength and how do you do that and that's you know part of that is is the mindset like you talk about this is not an obligation it's an opportunity and say it enough times to yourself and eventually that will sink in, um, <laughs> which, which I agree. Um, and yeah, and another way to do it and another way that I really like to, to talk to people about is to do something that comedians call calling the room. Hmm. Okay. This is a weakness. I'm, I'm, I acknowledge it's a weakness and I am going to share that with everyone. And then I no, no longer have to feel like I am the super confident, super polished, super authentic speaker making this perfect presentation. I am a person who's getting up here, trying to look at this as an opportunity and scared to death yeah. over what you all are going to think. And so, you know, I, if you have kind of a, a, a nervousness, call it, get yeah. up, you know, get up there and say like, Hi, you know, I'm really excited to speak to you all. And I am really nervous. You know, it's a, it's a tough thing to do. I, I think it's somewhat of, it sounds easy. It's somewhat advanced, but it is another way to kind of get people a little more comfortable. Like you don't have to be perfect. No, nobody's. I mean, maybe Tony Robbins is going to be perfect. I think <laughs> Renee Brown kind of has it down, but it's actually more interesting when it's not perfect. And it's it's actually more interesting when people are able to forge that connection with the audience. And that's one of the things that you know allows you to do that is share it. You know, to some extent. I mean. I did see a speaker once who came, sat down, 
at like eight in the morning. We were all excited to hear from her. She sat down and she kind of went into a diatribe for 15 minutes about how her, you know, she hadn't gotten any sleep and the traffic was really bad and she was really late and she's sorry about that. But, you know, she's just going to sit down because she's really tired and let's start the presentation. That was a little too much sharing. So there's, there's, there's a line. I, I like the the term calling the room. I haven't thought of it that way. Um, I like to refer to these things as vampires, where you have these dark places in you, these things that you're afraid to share or these vulnerabilities that you have. If you drag them out into the sun and basically expose them, they die. They go away. All of a sudden, when you have it out there and you say you know, something to the effect of, I'm a little bit nervous about this, and here's why. People, like, the audience will be on your side, because as we talked about, the audience doesn't want to sit through a rough, awkward, or unpleasant presentation any more than anyone else does, um, any more than you want to give one. The audience yeah. goes up there and goes, God, I hope this is good, right? I mean, like, you're I... sitting there thinking, I hope this doesn't suck. I hope they don't read the PowerPoint slides to me. Um, I, I hope they don't open with, uh, hi, my name is, and I'm going to talk about, and I go, oh God. And I have 12 points. I'll get started. Yeah. And you go, great. This is like there, there, you could have made like 10 different choices here and you made like the most basic boring one. So I always yes. tell people, I'm like, make bold choices and generally the universe will reward you for it. That makes so much sense. Everyone, no matter how you view yourself, has immense creativity. Yes. Immense. Everyone. Inside. It's just begging Everyone. to be tapped. It's begging. It, it, it wants to come out. You know, it does. It wants to be unleashed. And, you know, you talked about the, these opportunities to get in front of people. That is an opportunity to unleash that creativity. The way that you just described, right? The absolute worst way to start. Oh. But, oh my gosh, ask a question, find a fun statistic, use a prop, <laughs> tell a story. If it falls flat, you have a plan B to kind of, you know, where are you going to go next with that? Just like right. comedians do when, when jokes fall flat. But when you are reaching out of your comfort level as a speaker and having a little fun with it, that also takes away some of the nervousness. Yeah. You know, that, that also, cause you're trying to have fun. So then maybe it's fun for you. And if you're having fun, the audience is going to have fun too. And the audience is going to reward you for that and go, Oh, thank God. Something <laughs> <Right>. different. Because, <laughs> Yay! Uh, because a lot of people will, you know, when they speak, they're in some sort of lineup of speakers too. And, you know, it, it depends on where you fall. It, it, you know, presenting first thing in the morning is a little bit different than being the person between the audience and happy hour. And so. <laughs> oh God, that's a tough position. That's the worst. And so you, you've got to come correct in, in knowing where you are in terms of the day's worth of speakers. But no matter where you are, if you offer something different, something a little bit bold, something a little bit more creative, something off kilter, just, kicked just like a little bit 15 degrees to the left the audience is gonna go excellent thank you for this and i tell people that and it like it's intuitive to them but it's an unfamiliar rhythm in a lot of cases it is and what what it also shows your audience is that you care enough about them and you care enough about what you are giving to them that you put in the work yeah you, know, you did the work 
so that they don't have to. And you did the work to be able to present it in a way that they can absorb it, they can learn, they can interact, they can connect with you. You know, that's something that really gains a lot of credibility for speakers because it is a whole lot easier to get up and say, I'm blah, blah, blah. Let me, you know, try to kill you with my PowerPoint by reading every slide. (laughs) You get up and start a different way, you've thought about it. Right. That says a lot. (laughs) So we've talked a lot now about kind of presenting in uh, in a public forum, like live, face-to-face. One thing I'd like to talk more about, because I haven't done this in a while, is getting ready for TV. Because the TV rhythm is a very unnatural rhythm where you have to – you're not only managing what you're saying and the points you want to make and perhaps responding to someone talking to you live on the air, which is – I mean, this is really advanced coursework here – but you're also kind of managing your physical appearance and managing the way you react. So talk me through some of the prep you would do if a client is getting ready to go on TV. Yeah, you're, you're right. It is a completely different environment. So there, there's a couple different situations that people can be on in television. One can be, you know, you are kind of just on camera. You're not in the room with anyone. So that's something where they really need to be prepared with Starting off with some mundane things. How do you sit? Where do you look? What does your background look like? You know, one tip that, that I'll talk to clients about is sit on the edge of your chair. Uh-huh. You know, you don't want to necessarily be kind of sitting back, you know, sit on the edge of your chair. It's going to keep your voice up. It's going to keep you um, really focused on everything. And, um, and if and, you're wearing a coat, sit on the tail of your coat. Absolutely. Um you, I am old enough to remember Broadcast News. Do you know that movie? <laughs> yes, I know, I know that movie. <laughs> do you know the scene I, I'm I talking do. about? Yeah, yeah. William Hurt is uh, giving Albert Brooks some, some tips before he goes on an incredibly disastrous uh, television <laughs> appearance. He says, sit on the, on the coat of your chair. Um, one thing that I have talked to clients about, and it's something that I do, some people like to do it, some people don't, is I can find looking at, at yourself, incredibly distracting. Oh, geez. So, right. So once you are set, once you know where the camera is, once your background's all ready, they turn off the view and then just have a conversation with the camera. So those are some kind of the real technical things to get ready right. if you're in the situation. But what it ultimately comes down to beforehand is that the things that you do before you get on that camera are the most important. Um, and that's the preparation. Yeah. And that is figuring out what is your theme? What do you want to get across? What do you have to share? And then practicing over and over and over. I encourage clients to pick up their phone to tell whatever, you know, kind of soundbite they're trying to get across and to look at how long it takes them to do it. Yeah. Because so people have a real disconnect between how long it actually takes and what they think it's taking. Oh, God, yes. One of the things that I talk about is if you watch NFL football, every quarterback has a stopwatch in his head about a, you know how long until the pocket collapses. As you do more presentations, you will develop a stopwatch for how long it takes to get in and out of points. And you start high-grading your points a little bit more. And once you can do that, you recognize sort of the time pressure and you go, okay, I got to get into this point before, cause I'm going to get cut off, particularly if you're doing live TV. Um, and so that, that is 
Such a great tip. Get on the phone and do that. I, I hadn't thought of that. It's, again, it's been a while since I've done TV. Quick aside here. Have you ever done the thing where you go on cable, like a cable news show, and you're sitting there, like, basically in the dark in some remote studio <laughs> with nothing but an earpiece? You can't see the studio. You can't see anything. It's just you listening and trying to figure out when to get in. Have you done that? Oh my gosh, you are calling up a memory of being on court TV many, many years ago, being in the actual court TV building. But, you know, there was another guest in the studio with the host and I was in, you know, the satellite studio, which like might as box, well have been right? on, might, yes, might as well have been on Mars and trying to figure out when do I come in? Are they talking? I can't see anything. It's dark in here. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> You know, those are situations where you just have to kind of lean into it and just, you know, just get your points in when you can. I, I think interrupting is one of the worst things you can do. And that is something that, you know, you had asked, what, what do I tell people and, and coach them about TV appearances? If you are in that box, <laughs> you know, and you can't see, it's dark. First of all, find out if maybe a producer could make things a little better for you right. before things get started. <laughs> and if they can't, you know, it's it's another thing of calling the room in a way. It it's almost a way of saying, "Oh, you know, I'm I'm so happy to be in this conversation and, you know, would love to jump in here. Is this a good place to jump in?" Or, "What a fantastic point. Is this a good place where I can, you know, elaborate a bit on that?" Ask those questions to the host, kind of jump in that way. And it's harder. It's much harder than appearances. You know, I did on, you know, a morning show where you're sitting on the couch with the host, Yeah. you know, and that's a little easier. Another it's still part- weird though. Like it, it, it's designed to look like, Hey, we're all friends and we're all hey. on this couch having, you know, like in a facsimile of someone's living room. When in reality, you're going, what is this? Like, (laughs) you know, I I feel like I'm in some surrealist play. It is difficult to keep in mind the things that we've been talking about that make for such great communication, such as being yourself, keeping your own style, just augmented for that situation. Because you get on, on television, there's a certain, many television hosts are the same. They're very similar in how they communicate. They're very similar in how you ask. They will ask you a question their eyes will not be making eye contact with you. They're going to look, be looking at the teleprompter. Right? So it's, it's a strange, surreal situation. And, you know, many, many legal analysts, when I got started, were these screaming, yelling, talking heads. And that's who they were. And I hated it. I didn't think it was giving any educational opportunity to an audience to even hear 30 seconds of what was kind of smart commentary that would help you understand what was going on with certain cases. So people kept telling me, you have to be more like that. And I just said, no, that is not me. I will not be like that. That's not what I'm doing. Um, My kids used to to watch me and they were really little and they'd say, oh, you were on with the yelly guy again. guy that yells all the time. I'm like, you know, yep, absolutely. So I, you know, that didn't resonate with me. And so every time I was in one of those situations, I continually had to go, you know, keep my preparation in mind and continue to say, I'm having a conversation and that's what I'm doing here. I'm having a conversation and I'm just going to continue to have it. Despite how much yelling is going on, I'm not going to interrupt them to have that conversation. So that, 
kind of internal monologue is something that that I speak with clients about. <laughs> like, what are you going to think to yourself when you're in this situation that keeps you on track? And right. let's get a few words there of how you want to get a, yourself across. So I would think I want to come across, you know, intelligent. I want to come across knowledgeable. I don't want to come across yelly. I don't want to start <laughs> yelling. And I kept having to tell myself, because that's, you know, that's how you get attention sometimes on television. And it just wasn't how I was going to do it. Well, you, you've touched on something. This is sort of a foundational frame for, for which I do all my training. And I always tell them, if you take away nothing else from this training, take away this. Consider these questions before any speaking opportunity you have. What is my goal? Who is my audience? And why should they care? And if you tailor your message to answer those three questions, you will generally do a pretty good job. Now, what you're describing is trying to do that while basically like getting shot at with fireworks <laughs> um, and, yeah. and trying to remember that. The sort of environmental factors when it comes to being on television are prohibitive to, to sort of your instincts as a communicator. And, and they, they start running counter. And so hearing you say that, Kind of keeping your eye on the prize here is also what you're describing and not getting distracted by everything that's going around you. Man, if you can do that, you will be a successful public speaker or a, a successful communicator in any medium. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I, you know, I remember seeing a play years and years ago where a baseball player had learned how to hit home runs and he learned out on the field with no one around, no noise, no nothing. And then when he got into an actual baseball stadium, couldn't do it, huh. couldn't do it, had all the skills in the world, but couldn't do it. So, you know, I think of that um, as kind of an analogy that fits exactly with what you're saying. Yeah. And that should, you know, really um, is an important part of getting to be a good public speaker. If you can do it amazingly, you know, in your bedroom to your phone, that's fantastic. That's great prep. But you got to keep doing it. You have got to get up in front of people. You've got to get on those meetings. If you're interested in television, just keep doing it. There's <laughs> always going to be a first time. And you're going to be nervous, and it's going to be hard, and you're going to cringe when you watch it. But if you don't keep doing it, you don't get used to all those distractions. You don't learn how to handle them. And there are, you know, short of putting yourself in a television studio and having someone like you come in and start setting off firecrackers <laughs> and throwing stuff around, short of that... The only way to, to get better is practice. No matter, no matter what it is, take every opportunity, you know, join organizations, get on meetings, offer webinars, whatever you can do, just get yourself comfortable in that situation. Well, and particularly if that's going to be a part of your job, because right. part of what I do is, you know, I will be talking to people who they, they communicate for a living and they, they anticipated that, but when it comes to advancement through corporate America, I mean, you, you talk about working with executives and entrepreneurs. The more that you advance, the further away you're going to get from what you were originally hired for. And eventually, it's pretty much going to be all either managing people or communicating to broader audiences. And so let's say you're like a chemical engineer. You probably don't have a lot of at-bats in terms of presentations. And so to your point... If you don't have an aptitude for that, it's going to be very career limiting. And so these skills, everyone can brush up on this. I mean, hell, like I, I can get better at various things that I do, even though I host a weekly podcast where I'm talking to people all the time and I'm up doing trainings for other people. I can still always learn things. And I tell people that and they go, really you? And I go, 
why do you think I'm still good at this? Right? I mean, it's only because I do it all the time. It's like being, um, my daughter practiced, was a gymnast for a while, competitive gymnast. You're in the gym 15 to 20 hours a week. You get very good at what you do, but you have coaches for everything. Yes. Right? Of course. I mean, Olympic gymnasts have coaches. You know, I, I have had similar conversations with people and, you know, I don't think there's ever a level you get to where you can't improve and, no. and where you, you can't improve with feedback and, you know, you, you said earlier that a lot of the people you would get at trainings were kind of voluntold to, to come to those. I think it's a combination sometimes of those and also people who are at a higher level and just want to keep getting better. Yeah. Yeah. I, I will definitely get some of those. Uh, the, the folks, <laughs> I, I'm going to start with sort of a, a brief kind of anecdote and then transition to a question. The folks that are the most challenging to work with, I've found, are the folks who think they're really good at this, but get some challenging feedback from someone else. And so they end up soliciting some training. And those trainings tend to be the ones where I'm walking uphill the furthest. In terms of the work that you do, where do you find it to be most challenging? That's interesting. Two two kind of spectrums, I think. Sometimes with, uh, reminds me of, gosh, I'm going to throw in another old movie res- uh, reference, When Harry Met Sally. Mm-hmm. You know, you're the worst kind. You're high maintenance, but you think you're low maintenance. <laughs> Those kind of clients. You know, sometimes, you know, trial lawyers who have been doing it for 10 or 15 years say, I don't have anything more to learn. I'm good. I know what I'm doing. I could teach this stuff. And I kind of say, I know you could, but wouldn't it be great to have a sounding board? Wouldn't it be great to kind of be able to collaborate and discuss these ideas? Those are, that's a challenge. Yeah. Um, and then I, I think another challenge is getting people to understand what you've been talking about, that communication and being able to do it and do it well is a leadership skill. Yeah. And that in order to advance in pretty much any way, you need to be able to do it to some extent. And, you know, communication gets, I think, bad mouth quite a bit as a soft skill. <laughs> I, I don't think it's a soft skill. I absolutely think it is the most, if not one of the most important skills you can have both personally and professionally. And getting my biggest challenge is getting, um, I think getting people to understand that people who are not sent there by their company, um, or even people who are kind of voluntold to be in these trainings to understand that it's more just that it's more of just an hour work than an hour workshop of getting up and learning how to do an introduction, that these are skills that you have to keep doing throughout your career. And they're going to help you in so many ways. And they might even be fun at some point for you. Once you, God forbid, God forbid you have fun, right? With, with doing some of this. So I find, I, I don't know if you find that all, but I find that I have found that to be the biggest challenge in, you know, even starting my firm and, and kind of putting myself out there because to me, this was the most obvious thing in the world, you know? Yeah. Of course you, it's so obvious. How, how can you be successful or grow your, you know, you talk about what's in it for me, grow your business or, um, win a case at trial or get a, get a good, um, plea deal at trial or interview well and get a, get a great job or get promoted in some way or get more job responsibilities or maybe, you know, get your kids to go to bed on time. Like <laughs> what, what can you do? You know, communicate. It all comes down to being able to communicate. And I was so frustrated that I'd go out and people just wouldn't see it. They'd be like, yeah, we don't need that. <laughs> yeah, no, we're good. And no, it's all has, fine. 
yeah, it's good. We're good. <laughs> Come see my PowerPoint. I'm going to read you the 10 things that I do. I mean, it just yeah. was so frustrating. And, you know, that continues to be frustrating for me. And I think for me, it's a challenge because as a, a communication specialist, I have to learn how to communicate that message to people so that they do understand what's in it for them. And that's been a huge challenge for me. Yeah. Uh, that's been a big one. That That is a good one. There are times where leadership doesn't necessarily recognize the efficacy of it, where you go, no, seriously, if you're all communicating better, th it's going to make almost everything else fall into place. Yeah, if, if you're doing this effectively. And additionally, I like your point about, look, you're getting this training here. Um, in, in many cases with some of the clients that I have, you're getting this. If If you use it here, great. I'm interested in you as an individual. So if you realize over the course of this training that you hate this organization or you hate this job, then take my skills and go and be prosperous wherever you take this. And I literally tell that to them. I go, look, your company's foot in the bill here. You're getting this for free. But these skills are for you. And I care about you because you are the one in here. So use this in your marriage. Use this in your parenting. Use this to... Uh, in, in whatever it is that you're doing, maybe you, maybe you'll make better fantasy football trades. I don't even know, right? But the skills are there for you to take them. And if you embrace this, it's like anything else. You will get out of this what you put into it. And I, I think some people go, yeah, I have to check the box here. I have to go do this. And it's like, it's just like public speaking where, look, you gotta be here anyway. Instead of looking at it as an obligation, look at it as an opportunity. Oh, I, I completely agree. And it, it goes along with what you mentioned about being that kind of vampire idea mm -hmm. where, you know, take all of these things that you are thinking about communicating, that you're thinking that this is not helpful, that you're, you know, you just have to be here. You're not going to really take this anywhere. Pull all those out into the light and let's examine those and then move forward from there. It is embedded in every single thing we do, whether we do it non-verbally you know, and how we show up, whether we do it verbally, whether we do it in, in written communication, it is everywhere. So why not get better at it? <laughs> 100%. And no matter what, if you take nothing else away from this podcast, please don't read us the PowerPoint. <laughs> Gosh, death by PowerPoint. If, if, if you're going to read the PowerPoint slides to us, just print them out, hand them out to the audience and leave. Literally, yeah. just we all know how to read, okay? And if you're not going to add anything else interesting or if you're going to overload <laughs> this with copy and text, just hand them out and leave, okay? We'll, you'll, yeah. we'll all save some some time and some brain damage that way. Oh, yes. <laughs> 100%. Okay, so you, you work with a number of different types of organizations. Is there anything that you've done some of that you'd like to do more of? Is there anything you haven't done that you would like to do in this field? Where... Where do you see that kind of unfolding for you? What What's something that's exciting on the horizon for you? That is so interesting. I recently, um, gosh, I'm going to start again with the old movie references. Just like in The Godfather, they get, you know, out of the family and then pulled back in. I have recently found myself pulled back into really working with lawyers. Mm -hmm. um, it's something I, I broke away from for quite a bit, explored really working with uh, executives and entrepreneurs and in other industries. And you know that once you catch the trial bug, I think it's with you forever. Uh, so I I got a call from someone, uh, a lawyer I knew who was at a small firm, and he was starting his first trial. He had 
no one there to help him, no one there to guide him. And, and he was quite terrified. I mean, he's an excellent lawyer, but, you know, in his first few years of practice, and he called and said, can you help me? And so we sat down and we did a few sessions of trial coaching. Um, we, we filled up a couple big whiteboards. We um, figured out his themes, his witness order, and, and he was able to go in really confidently. And that kind of caught the bug. For me, I caught it again, just saying trial lawyers could use this. They need it. Um, law firms are starting to be open to it as, you know, not just solo attorneys. And so that's a new thing on the horizon for me. That's a new offering that I am doing trial coaching and training, uh, both to individual attorneys and through law firms. Nice. So I'm starting to do that. And something that would be interesting when I speak to people, I probably have watched so many TED talks that the story they're telling me immediately goes into, Ooh, that would make a great TED talk. That's a great idea. How can I condense that into 18 minutes with a fabulous opening, a great call to action in the end, and some really fun stuff to listen to? So I have not coached people for TED Talks or TEDx Talks, something I'd love to do. Yeah, TED Talks are interesting because it's become its own kind of form, and I have some frustrations yeah. with almost like the template, like the, the template kind of style that TED Talks have adopted. Yeah where they, they're all starting to feel a little samey to me. So Have you seen The Onion? Have you, I'm sorry to interrupt. Have you seen The Onion uh, TED Talks? I'll uh, have to, to send that to you, but they make fun of it, and it's hysterical. Oh, it's exactly God. what you're saying. That's perfect. I, no, I have not seen that. So I, I'm with you. I would like to coach people for TED Talks, but do it in a way that is a little bit unconventional almost, um, where, yeah. where we're breaking the form a little bit because – I've seen a lot of people gear their speech. They've, I can tell that they've watched a ton of TED Talks. Mm -hmm. And there are times where I go, this has become template for a reason because like a lot of this works. Like it's just highly effective communication. But I'm also kind of begging for something new at this point. And so I, I'd love to contribute to that. Yeah, I, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, once it, once it gets into too much of a formula, it does become just ripe for satire. It, <laughs> it loses its effectiveness. Um, but taking the kind of the platform and, and the general, you know, and the gist of just putting a really good, putting really good ideas out there in interesting ways yes. that people can learn from it in kind of these small, just small investments of time is very appealing. 100%. I agree with you on that. Um, okay. This is the time on the show when we do plugs. Lori, where can people find you? Where can they find Tribeca Blue Consulting? Anything you want to plug? The floor is yours. Wow. Um, I'm not going to plug any more old movies. You can find me at... Um, but that's my, my bread and butter. I, <laughs> I speak in pop culture references, so you're speaking my language. Awesome. TribecaBlueConsulting.com. Tribeca uh, stands for Triangle Below Canal, uh, my old neighborhood in New York. So you can find me on there. If you resonate with all the stuff that John and I have been talking about, if you want to get up in front of people and not read your PowerPoint, feel free to contact me. I, I do love to connect. You can also find me on LinkedIn. Love to connect with people there as well. Perfect. All right. What I'll do is I will link to all of that in the companion blog piece. That'll be on johnofalltrades.us. Uh, also in the show notes, no matter what podcatcher you're listening on, whether it's iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Audible, I'm on all of them. Uh, if you get your pods somewhere else, bully for you. That's unusual. But 
Um, wherever you get pods, I'm pretty much on every pod catcher. Uh, Lori Gilbertson, I will tell you what, this was an enormous pleasure. I love talking shop like this. You are an incredible professional with uh, just a dynamite resume, and it's my privilege to feature you, and I wish you continued success. Oh, John, thank you so much. Right back at you. It's been a pleasure. And that'll do it for episode 317 of the John of All Trades podcast with Lori Gilbertson. Man, what a treat. What a delight. I adored talking to her. That was good, fun, especially for me. But this is what I do. Hope you got a lot out of it, too. If you're interested in training, hit her up. TribecaBlueConsulting.com. She gave you that. It's in the show notes. It's on the companion blog piece. You can also hit Depth Communications, which is the official producer of the John of All Trades podcast. In addition to training, I do other PR, and I do podcasting. I have six shows under my chart, always looking to add more, always happy to talk to you and get your show up and on wheels. Hit it up, deftcom.us, D-E-F-T-C-O-M.us. My email is john, J-O-N, at deftcom.us. If you're listening on a podcatcher, thank you very much. Please leave us a rating. Take a few more seconds. Leave us a review. You heard something you like. Tell your friends. You know what? Share it across social media. The handle is J-O-A-T-Pod. Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Pinterest, and Instagram. Episode previews go up on Mondays. New episodes drop on Wednesdays. What else can I tell you? I think that's it for this week. It's good to be back here in 2022 doing interviews. I've got an old friend, a former guest, coming on this show. He's a fascinating guy. That's next week. Stay tuned. Like I said, episode previews on Monday, Facebook only. New episodes on Wednesday. Hit that subscribe button. Brand new episodes come directly to you. In the meantime, I hope you're having a prosperous new year. I cannot wait till we cross paths again. And until we do, say goodnight, Gracie. That's good, Johnny.